My name is Matt Perez. And my name is Satchel Drakes. And this is Overworld, where we try to be curious, fail at being smart, and talk about video games at the intersection of art, society, and other stuff. I don't know. I guess we're we're normal people now on this podcast. And we're professionals. Yeah. And it's finally happening. We're doing the thing. We're sitting down and we're talking about video games. It's kind of been a long time coming, right? I think we talked about it like three years ago. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I was very nervous about it. <laughs> yeah, it's cool to finally yeah. kind of dive into it. I literally went to your website and hit, hit up your uh, your contact form, and I was like, oh my God, he got bad. That's right, you did. This is amazing. That's so pretentious that I had one of those. What? Oh Whatever. <laughs> but no, we're here, our first episode. Yeah. And I kind of wanted to talk about strategy games. That's cool. I'm ready to talk about them, because there's a lot I'm kind of familiar with, a lot I don't know, so... Yeah. We'll be well, able to dive in. Big problem with me is that I'm extremely not modest about saying that I feel like I'm very good at most games. I'm a Golden League of Legends, you guys. Okay. But strategy games, <laughs> I don't know. There's something about them. I, you know, people love strategy games. Civilization, such a big franchise. Right, Fire Emblem, right. such a big franchise. Definitely. But I don't know. I've always been the odd man out within my group of friends when it comes to strategy games. I'm just always, I, I can't pick them up. I can't figure them out. Uh, just my brain doesn't work with them. I don't no, know no, what it I'm, is. I'm totally with you. I'm kind of at the bottom of the barrel with my friends too. And it's one of those things where like I keep relearning to dive in. And the only real thing that I feel like I've been able to excel at is Fire Emblem. Mm-hmm. And I only feel confident saying that because no one can fact check me since it's just a solo campaign. <laughs> this is very true. This is very true. And yeah. if any of your characters die, you can just reset. You can. Yeah. Though how interesting would it be if there was a permadeath that autosaved after you died? I would be down life. for that. Right, right, right. I'd be absolutely down with that. But also we wouldn't get anywhere, I don't think. Probably not. <laughs> well, even like Fire Emblem. So that's more of like an introductory one. Um I think the the one on the Wii was called Path of Radiance. Yeah. I couldn't get past the first stage, man. Like, it's the intro stage of a Nintendo game. I couldn't <laughs> get past it. Well, you know, that, but that, I mean, that was the first one that they sort of imported from Japan because they originally thought Fire Emblem was going to be too challenging for Americans. So maybe that... I'm defending you here. Like maybe maybe that's sort of on your side. You should try maybe. Awakening. Give Awakening a shot. It's that one's good. one. But even like I just remember playing what Age of Mythology, which is a real time strategy game. These games are more tactical, you know, you have to manage resources a lot of times. Something like Age of Mythology where I play with three other of my three of my friends, um, we're kind of competing against each other yeah. to like become the the number one kingdom. I remember being like it's a free for all. But my one friend reached out. He knew I was going to come in fourth. He's like, listen, I can get you to Let second place. Carry. Yeah. I will carry. Just give me all your resources. And boom, we took out the other two guys that were very good, and I got second place. I'm happy about that. That's how bad I am at these things. But So what makes you want to talk about strategy games? What, what I want to talk about, going back to the I'm not modest kind of thing, is uh-huh. I'm fantastic at fantasy football, right? Okay. Fantasy sports. And I in my warped mind, am trying to think of fantasy football uh, as, a genre, as part of this genre of turn-based strategy games. Okay. I think I've come up with, you know, how this fits, what makes it a turn-based strategy game, and it makes me feel better about myself. This is kind of, Okay, know, that's fair. Terrible, but... So I'm interested in hearing about this, and I'm also interested in hearing you mansplain a lot of this, because... <laughs> Uh, actually, I, I'm a little bit of a nerd. I don't really know sports ball that well. So I'm going to need you to, like, 
in a, in a very like non annoying one on one way because I'm sure there are listeners as well. If you're into the Vardio games, like maybe you're not necessarily into the sports ball. Don't really know football like to like super well. I'm interested in sort of hearing how you deconstruct this. Yes, and yeah. that's kind of like what. I, I kind of want to articulate for people that aren't familiar with something like football or basketball, whatever fantasy sport you have interest in playing. I feel like less you know about it, the better. And I I feel like it's just like big mainstream thing that's become to the point of like uh, fantasy sites get sued for gambling. Like it's gotten to that (laughs) point, you know, that makes it legitimate. Right, Uh, right. (laughs) It's only legitimate when people are doing illegal things. Exactly, exactly. Um, But it's like a cool thing to get into. And I think vice versa, like people are into fantasy sports. Like like, I maybe it's like my the wrong mindset, but I think of strategy games as extremely complex as Mm. A little bit more high-minded, like you need to very really, tactical, yeah, very tactical. You need to take your time. They are unforgiving, and I think if you can excel at fantasy football, fantasy sports, maybe try out Civilization or XCOM or something like that. Okay, so let's get into so this. far. I'm with you. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, number one, how you how the the phases go. So in strategy games, there's usually you know big break points. There's you know, you put your team together, you yeah. talk to them, you plan a, a, a battle, like you, you find yourself on a battlefield, you plan out what you're going to do, right? and then you initiate combat and you see how things f- go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fancy football right there. Everything's broken down by a week. What you do before the, the, the season even starts is you draft your team. It's the same um, thing as drafting an NFL team, you, you know have 10 players and you just draft uh, the, the the best player in that position kind of thing. So now, what, do, what are you leaning on to inform those decisions? You're looking at stats from past seasons? Like, is that how it... Even more simple than that, where I think a lot of people, they'll look at stats from previous seasons, they'll know a lot of these guys. I go online and I go up ranking of fantasy football players and just follow oh, that, you just man. Find it. Yeah, you know what? That isn't that isn't too far from a strategy game because a lot of people like I, I used to be addicted to World of Warcraft. Okay, like, and it was horrible. Have you ever no, played? I avoided it because I was like fifteen dollars a month. I have a reason not to play this. You're a better man. You're a stronger <laughs> man because it followed me into college, and then the moment I could take care of myself, it was a mess. But in that, there are a whole bunch of people that go to like these different websites where they figure out like oh just you got to just go to this coordinate for quests and stuff so i totally get you yeah, yeah. i mean it's the same similar to what i did get into is league of legends which is an offshoot of warcraft 3 a, a mod right. of that and that's probably the closest i am good at a strategy game but it's a moba it's a totally different genre at this point but okay. that's like you go online and you look up who's the best champion at this current juncture you know and yeah god so- bless your heart how do you i'm no i know i'm serious how do you deal with like the cuz the when i hear league of legends first i shudder and then my knee jerk reaction is Oh no, that toxic environment of people that tell you to kill yourself. Welcome like, to fantasy football, man. Oh, this is true. Okay, okay. Yeah. You just okay, okay. You just trade you trade neckbeards for bro dudes. Is that how That is <laughs> No such... one's gonna listen anymore. My Everyone's God. gone. I'm getting emails. There's no <laughs> No, no, no. That's it. Well, I'll get into that because that's the other aspect that I I enjoy about okay. fantasy football. But yeah, you go through these phases, you draft your team, you put it together, you usually have like for anyone who doesn't know how, I guess, like fantasy sports work, you pick a player based on certain stats. You get points, and um, oh, perfect. Okay. Generally, good. you'll go head to head with another player in your league, and whoever scores the most points for that week gets the win. Okay. Um, and for fantasy football, like a typical structure, at least the one I follow, it's like you pick one quarterback, 
two wide receivers who catch the ball, yeah. uh, two running backs who run the ball, right. um, a tight end who cuts the ball, but he's uh, he blocks a lot too. Uh, yeah. You might have a flex for spot. Our li- for our listeners. What's cutting for our listeners, not for me, of course, because yeah. I just know these things for our listeners. Or bl- blocking, you C- mean cut- cutting the ball? What is what is that? Oh, like you mean like running, like uh, making cuts. Okay, got it. Okay. Now I know. Please <laughs> proceed. Proceed. Uh, there might be a flex spot where it could, it's, it could be anybody like, or anybody on the offensive side of the ball. And that's the thing. It's usually more offense players okay. where you usually draft a single defense, like a team, like the Philadelphia Eagles. That's who you pick, not okay. the random – because <laughs> who really knows who plays defense in football? There's too many people. Okay. 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 I barely know what a left guard is. I don't know. <laughs> Fair game. Anyway. Uh, and then you might get a kicker. I think that's basically the structure. And um, they get certain, like, say we play what is called PPR. That means points per reception. Okay. So if a player catches the ball, you get one point. So it's like, theoretically, All you right. think of, you look at their stats, like, oh, they're catching 10 balls a game. Okay. Let me get him. I get 10 points. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how it's broken down. And uh, the planning phase, I call it, is, you know, Setting up your your roster for the week. Football is very regimented. There's you know one or two, maybe just one Thursday night game, and then most games are Sunday, and then there's a single Monday night game. That's okay. it. You know you wait for that weekend basically, and you yeah. set up your your lineup in that way. It's not you know other fantasy sports like uh, hockey. Mm-hmm. They play every single night. It's it's a little bit more complicated. Baseball, I couldn't even begin to get into that. Baseball is very complicated, but. Yeah. Yeah, football is very like there's going to be the battle phase. So you 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 prep during the planning phase, you make some trades maybe, you interact with the other player or yeah. you know the other players in the league and and see like maybe you can broker a deal. Um other ways you can pick up uh, free agents. There's yeah. you know the waiver period where maybe the last week you saw a great player like everyone's talking about him but yeah. no one picked him up he was a nobody maybe a rookie it's like okay now i have to like put my bid in and try to get this guy okay. and uh maybe um let him sit on my bench and see what he does the following weeks you know i'm following what you're saying a little bit closer than i thought that i would because yeah. there's an additional sport you mentioned okay hockey's very complicated <laughs> baseball's very complicated there's an additional sport that I follow. Basketball? That, no, it's not basketball. Mm-hmm. That um, also has a fantasy league that I may or may not have participated in. That kind of runs on a point system as well. So, um, brace yourselves. There's a show called RuPaul's Drag Race. And um, it's about it's like 14, 14 queens, 14 drag queens contestants sort of duking it out to become like the number one for the show. Right. And it's weekly and there's a lot of hype and competition around it. There are bars that stop to play the show and I'm very new to it. Like I got into it maybe like a year ago, you know, and, uh, you know, there's a fantasy league and I, I played it recently. And it's a similar thing where each week there are um there's a mini challenge, a main challenge, and then a team challenge. And it rotates every week where out of the 14 contestants, there's like a small pool that you can select the person you're sort of like rooting for or put your name on like each week. And then depending on how they do, they can either be ranked as safe, which is like they made it all right. They're up for elimination uh, or like they score high, so they they um, they like won the won the competition, or whatever. And then the points are distributed accordingly, like six, four, three, two, or whatever. And and the most most points wins, correct? Is it the same thing with yeah. with it? Okay, mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. So yeah, I'm 
you mentioned that, and like what first popped in my head is like maybe like Survivor. And at the beginning of the season, you pick one contestant, and you hope to God they get to the end of it. This is more like every single week it resets. Like you pick a new person, and you're like, I think they're going to be safe, kind of thing. Okay, all right, cool. Is that how it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah, it's sort of like, but the, the the difference would be each week it's randomized so that you're not kind of like landing on the same person every week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's sort of like a you, you sort of have to like re it forces you to like read everybody that's running. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the other cool thing for both of these. Yeah, is the battle phase, right? You just yeah. you watch something you probably like, you know. Yeah. And <laughs> you know what else? So like you RuPaul drags race, amazing, right? right. And then if you're into football, you watch some football. But, like, for me, I don't really have, like, a team I root for in okay. football. Eagles are embarrassing every year. So why would I want <laughs> Why would you want to do that, right? <laughs> but uh, what's kind of cool is, like, like you said, like, you start learning about this sport or the show. And you start learning about these people. And you also – it elevates these games you wouldn't care about. 100%. Like, these, like, two, like – Bottom of the barrel teams, maybe. Let's say the Cleveland Browns and who else? I don't care. I just want to make fun of the Browns. Yeah. But like, <laughs> it might make it more interesting because you very much care about this one player on the team and you're very focused on like their performance because at the end of the day, it's not about like who wins yeah. the game. It's like how does it play out? And that gives you so much more incentive to like invest your time into it and like get interested. And it makes like these n- – like, no no one cares about these games but you do because you're invested in this one person it's like okay cool see that that is really valuable for for me to sort of hear that there's sort of like this wavering variable as you're following it like so i'm guessing you can't really 100% depend on the stats in order to carry you through like a season is that sort of what i'm hearing yeah it's it's a thing well it's another element is that and this is maybe oh it's not really a strategy but strategy game because there's a lot of chance to it Right. Players might get injured. Right. They might just play bad. But that, that happens in Fire Emblem, too. Like, the narrative will sort of sneak in, and then somebody will be, like, plucked from your team, and you have to deal with it. And that's part of the strategy is sort of like that unpredictable variable. You know what I like mean? Like, factoring in the risk. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There might be, I'm trying to think, I say, like, Le'Veon Bell for the Pittsburgh Steelers okay. is one of the best players in the league. But I think the last two seasons, he got busted with marijuana and he got injured so it's See, like do you want to spend man. your first round pick on, on Le'Veon Bell like maybe not right you know yeah 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 uh so there's that element too and I, I there's something about chance in in games that I think is you know when we're talking about like MOBAs or something like or esports people want to eliminate any semblance of chance or uh, randomness, and right. I think that's an element of gameplay. Right. Like they keep you know? saying, praying to R and Jesus and all this <laughs> other stuff, and it's just sort of like, yeah, that, that that's going to be part of it. I, I, I can even I'll counter your random variable with one for me. I think about um, for for this last so to give you a little bit of preface, the show it's a challenge of attitude and performance and. A lot of like costume design and fashion stuff. So to give you a little bit of preface, like uh, my dad's a fashion designer. Both of my parents were at some point, but my dad's a fashion designer, costume designer. Oh, nice. And I'm originally from Trinidad, where they have like uh, this thing called Carnival or like Carnival. It's like very, very centric on like celebrating nature by wearing different costumes or whatever. So the most people, well, a lot of people, like the way they sort of bond with their dads is watching like maybe sports. The way that I bonded with that was watching like Project One Way. So, <laughs> so this That's is sort awesome. of like this dovetail with that, right? You know, and. And in that, there there's this contestant named Nina Benita Brown who 
she's like this total nerd like grew up like l- loving like warcraft like uh uh middle earthen stuff like token-esque stuff right and um it influenced these amazing like headpieces and costumes that she put together so man i was rooting for her the whole way and her her stuff was so super duper strong but the, she had this whole thing where she came from atlanta and the people who were there didn't really embrace her and she like had these trust issues so she would just cast shade the whole season. I wouldn't trust anybody. And it, it killed the vibe and no one wanted to team up with her and people were reticent to like uh support her. And because of that, like, even though her stuff was strong, like that variable it, it threw everything off. And it's like, all right, you stop you stop rooting for her like you stop you stop putting your sort of pin on her for each week that you do fantasy or whatever. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I kinda <laughs> love that. Because you do like that's that's it, like you're reading the contestant. Right. You know, it's another factor of that because I'm into Survivor. Uh, yeah. Everyone talks about, like, uh, the edit. Like, how are they editing this show? Right. Who Who is coming out big? Which Who's... they barely do. Oh, they barely edit it? Well, I've heard some producer. I, don't let me stop you. Go ahead. <laughs> no, but that's, that's the main point. It's like people get in their heads like, I don't know. This person hasn't been, uh, 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 you know, been talking to the camera much. I don't, I don't know how I feel about them. <laughs> like, they might just be going under the radar. They're kind of boring. Like, maybe... You know, the producers don't care to build a story around them or right. maybe they're building a tragic story around them. It's like they're they're coming down. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that happens <laughs> so, every single season. People totally try to read into that. And that seems like that where it's like I want to read this character, this person and and see like their motivations and, and how they're interacting with other people. And yeah. that's going to inform your decisions. <laughs> Man, that's gaming right there. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like. <laughs> It's absolutely, but no, like, I, actually, another question for you. Sure, Because sure. I guess another element that I'm trying to, like, bolster up this, this idea for is um, there's many play styles, and mm-hmm. two other things, like, there's many play styles and the other players you're, you're, you're going against, but especially with, like, play styles, like, like I said, like, you start to maybe, like, read about these players, and you also look into, like, their environment, what teams they're on, who they're playing, like... Right. You know, I think a really cool thing is that you can play in different ways where, yeah, you can look at a lot of stats. Mm-hmm. You can also kind of go off your gut feeling about these players and, like, you know, big names garner more attention from, right. you know, a lot of the people I play with, they just watch a lot of ESPN. Yeah. And so, yeah. like, you can totally bait them with a trade with, like, you know, a, a big name that I know is going to just, like, deliver a goose egg every right. once in a while. Right, right, uh, right. Whereas I w- would look toward people that are very consistent and i just want to hit an average every single week of like 130 points yeah. if i can hit that average it's better than like the league average that's being scored so theoretically i should be fine to get into the playoffs and hopefully at that point i have you know a team that i can field and uh be confident with but i did that at one point i think like two years ago i was at the bottom of the league yeah i made a triumphant return by using excel a bunch Okay. I, was, I was making my own stats. I was basically trying to find players that got short passes, but then they could actually do something with it. Okay. So they would get multiple, easy, safe passes. They would never be inter- intercepted or they would never drop it. Mm-hmm. But then they, you know, they can get an extra five or six yards on it. That'll give me like 10 yards, gets you one point. The reception gets me another point. Do it a few times a game, like these no name talents, you know, like come yeah. out. And, and that was the thing. Like I was. At the bottom, I had nobody, uh, and I started looking at players like Fred Jackson and Golden Tate, and it's like these are <laughs> people that are behind star players, and they just emerged 
in my little Billy Bean equation. Yeah, and yeah, I was yeah. able to like take advantage of that, and I, I think that's like super cool. Like, and that's how I approach every single year. It's like. Don't look at the name, like just. Uh, so you're you're an empiricist. You'll just like show me the data. Yeah, yes. yeah. Pass the motion. I totally get that. And surprisingly, there's also a parallel right there. So there's there's also parity with drag race where, um, so there there might not necessarily be stats because there aren't seasons. People aren't playing every time, but um, there's sort of like a preparation area where the pilot will come out and they'll introduce all the contestants on the show, and from there, if you log into their Twitter and their Instagram, you can usually. You can usually kind of phone in who's going to last the longest based on their followings, based on the amount of like likes they'll get on average on like stuff that they put up because because it's, it's not it's not only like the support, but it, it's sort of like a general consensus that they know what they're doing. And that was really helpful for me because I haven't been following it that long. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's cool to hear that. It's sort of like I, I would imagine there would be sort of like this empirical um, uh, component to like being mm-hmm. able to see what's going to happen. Yeah, that's. I never even thought of that. That's kind of awesome. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> when someone told me, I was like, wait, really? Okay, <laughs> cool. Some secret strats. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing is, uh, I guess, like, who you're playing with. And that's, for me, like, a really... Oh, 100%. Important and, element. And yeah. that dovetails perfectly with video games. I mean, for, for, like, Fire Emblem, I mean, to bring it back to video games, like, with Fire Emblem, um, players will play better if you match them up and have them double-team in a way that matches their relationship in the story. Yeah. Yeah. So, so so much of that game is you talking to other people and just, like, understanding them. Right, and matching them up, yeah. Yeah. And so, and I love that. I also like the idea of, I guess, like, in Civilization, you can, like, broker deals and whatnot, probably. Mm, Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. I'm not (laughs) an expert at this. But, yeah, I the, the idea of, like, playing a game with nine other people and being able to like read their personalities and their actual people. Yeah. And it's like, even if it's paper thin, but (laughs) sometimes localization is weird. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. exactly. I'm with you. Please say what you're saying. Yeah. (laughs) So, but no, like as far as like fantasy goes, like these are not like for me, it's like nine other people. We play in a 10 league, uh, 10 team league. Yeah. And it's people that don't hold back. Mm. Uh, They're mostly my brother's friends. Okay. So they, they older or younger? Like, are they dogging on you? Like, what's going on? Here? A bit older. Okay, yeah. Got it. And they're they also they'll, they'll dog on me because I come in with the attitude of like I don't need to know about sports <laughs> as much as you, kind of thing. And like, yeah, yeah. They're very yeah. So it's it's just like they will cut deep, man. They'll mm. go for the jugular, and mm. it's also they will hold grudges. They, you know, there's ways to manipulate them. Sure. And especially, it's like you start learning about these, like, characters. And you start learning about, like, the weird divisions with them. Like, I wonder if my brother, like, likes this dude. I don't know. Like, <laughs> and it's it's a strange thing. Like, I, there's, um, in particular, I call him, like, the salesman. Because, like, he, you know, he's, he's a salesman for a living. And... Man, That's his nickname? I, I call him that just because, like... That's perfect. That's, like, straight out of an episode of The League. <laughs> I love that. Please exactly. go on. <laughs> but, um, no, like, he can read people so well, and he's so manipulative. He'll talk to you differently than he'll talk to someone else. You never mm. want to send him, like, say um, another player offered me a trade. Mm. I would never go to him and go, like, how do you feel about this trade? Because he'll say, like... <laughs> Uh, maybe ask for this. Then he'll go behind your back and talk to the person you're talking to and offer a better That's thing. That's no good. That's no I'm good. I'm like, dude. Like, Not about it. Yeah. And, but he knows, like, 
there was my brother is a huge Green Bay Packers fan, has been for like his entire life, and um, he didn't have Aaron Rodgers on his team or something. Uh, and for some reason, one of his friends thought like to get back at at him, like to spite him, he was going to trade for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, to like, and, and the sales salesman guy had yeah. uh, had Aaron Rodgers, and it was just an awful deal. And like, the, I think the salesman guy basically convinced him like. Yo, I like you can totally <laughs> screw over my uh, uh, my brother's name's Frank. You can totally screw him over yeah. if if you just uh, do this trade to get Aaron Rodgers. And he did it, and was like, "What? What are you even thinking?" Like, he just I'm already, totally I'm gets already to your rolling head, my man. eyes. I'm already rolling. People in podcast land, I'm rolling my eyes. Like, <laughs> I have people. I know people like that in my board game night group, and they are not. It's not good. Oh I yeah, like them around. It's totally like a Sellers of Catan thing, where it's like, yeah. "Why are you doing this to me?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're making someone else better by spiting me. But, like, that's kind of, I kind of love that about fantasy football, especially, like, there's just certain people I, I don't know if I'm able to trade with them anymore because I think uh, – I don't think they like me anymore. Like, mm. That's what happened. Fellowship breaker, man. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a thing of, like, maybe we did this trade and he felt good about it, but then people were like, oh, it's a terrible trade. And they thought, like, maybe I – totally screwed them over and like yeah, just yeah. lying through my teeth i'm yeah. like what and then like you can't trade with them anymore it's like you know sports rivals like the philadelphia flyers and pittsburgh mm-hmm. penguins don't trade it's so odd because they're just so fierce rivals they'll never make a <laughs> deal and it's like what come on like it's so weird yeah. it's the human condition yeah but is there at. something like that for uh for rupaul's drag for, race? for drag race yeah um not really, just because it's not it's not bound to teams, so it's kind of like yeah. individuals, you know. Mm. Um, there will be general vibes, like sort of how I, how I described, and you kind of get that through. There's an additional um, there's an additional series that runs along it that's Drag Race un, uh, Untucked, and that, and through that is where you sort of like see uh, all of the relationship. What they call the tea, like you see all of sort of the drama, like and all of the interpersonal relationships between people, and from that you can sort of glean how things will go, like whose morale is like destroyed and whose isn't. Uh, but it is a little bit different, to mm-hmm. be fully honest. Yeah, I wonder if there is ways to introduce certain rules and parameters where it does become almost cutthroat like that between people. Because, <laughs> like, I guess in a more like general sense, like the rules we have PPR in place, which is points per reception. It makes it a little bit more less chancy because standard, you're basically relying on people getting touchdowns. And okay. that's very like you can't predict that. Yeah. Whereas like with PPR, you can at least predict that a lot better and that makes it but I don't know, if there's like some weird little nuance you can throw into this where everything just just goes to hell, like right, right, right. like a sudden death <laughs> mode. Everyone's at three hundred percent, and like, <laughs> well, can people um, pick the same uh, contestant to that they believe will be safe or Eat, week to week? No, okay, week to week? No, they can't. There is sort of like a sudden death because so when you're up for elimination, like let's say you didn't do well on a challenge, every week somebody's eliminated, but um, that isn't just be- it isn't because you lose a challenge. There, there will be like two people who are in the bottom and they have what's called a lip sync for your life. So what you have to do is like it's this whole big to do. Like it's this whole big production thing and they add echo and it's like lip sync for your life. <laughs> Don't F it up. It's this whole like deep thing. But it's essentially they just like they put on a song or whatever and they just have to like 
perform their butts off, you know what I mean? And uh, and that's sort of like the high stakes thing. And then someone will get eliminated from that. So, and that will ultimately impact your points because somebody might be up for elimination, which isn't good, but win. And then you don't get punished as badly. Mm-hmm. A question I have for you, though, um, now that you bring up, I guess, like the mechanics of the sort of like what I'm calling an analog game, right? Sports, right? Oh, <laughs> um, there we go. And so you kind of have your mind in that and sort of like a tact- you know, tactical RPG type of thing. Do you ever feel like there's sort of like a um, these games that we're playing, especially um, the strategy ones that you sort of play? Like, there are constantly patches; they're constantly changing the mechanics, right? Like, anything is on the table to be changed for the sake of balance and for the sake of like justice, right? Um, there aren't really patches for football, yeah. Like, and do you ever wonder? I mean, I imagine you've been watching it for a while now. Do you ever feel like? There should be, or that that kind of that like mechanic should be on the table for changes. This is a little bit of a like side thing, but no, I am totally pretty curious it. to. So for football, the sport itself, or fantasy football, um, would it be too big of an answer to graze on both? No, or? I don't think so. Okay, cool, so yeah. I think with, I think it's a similar answer for both. It's like after the season, similar like League of Legends. It's like after the season, they'll figure out like maybe change something up, kind of bigger. Yeah. Uh, I think in football, see, I yeah, okay, I'm pretty sure in football. I've tweeted this before, by the way, and I just got wrecked. Everyone's really? like, don't touch this. You think that you can do it? It was this whole big no thing. No way. I was like, all right, fine, football's great. But Nothing no. should change ever. All right. They pulled, for the extra point, they made it, the kicker has to kick it far, further, right? And, like, okay. that people started missing it. It's okay. a factor. Uh, same thing with, um, I mean, I watch a lot of hockey. That's, like, my main sport. Okay. That they changed uh, how icing works, so I don't have to get into a whole thing of icing. But how <laughs> if basically if the if the um, if the one team shoots the puck past the halfway line uh, into the offensive zone, yeah. I, that was the worst description ever. <laughs> basically, it used to be like a race, a sprint to the puck, yeah. and if the the one team that shot it over can get to it, they're safe, they're good. But if the uh, defending team touches it first, then they'll get a face-off uh, on the other side of the ice. So it's more advantageous okay. for them. Got it. They took that out because players just smashed into the board trying to get the puck. And now it's just a simple like race to the puck. It's, they don't have to touch or anything. It's like whoever gets to the backboard first kind okay. of thing. Backboard is not the right word for it either. Okay. So for, for, any, for anybody in podcast land, um, if you have any fact-checking or proper corrections, please forward all your emails to Matthew.Perez. Oh <laughs> <laughs> no, but so th- every like sports get patched in a sense. Yeah. You know, there are minor changes, but they can be significant. Better example is that uh, hockey introduced – NHL introduced uh, over, different overtime rules. It used to be – if they oh, yeah, had a, so patches do happen. Yes, this is great. It, and and this one was amazing. Where uh, in overtime it used to be they would play four on four instead okay. of five on five, a little bit more ice, but it usually resulted uh, it finished and they would go to a shootout and shootouts are the worst, right? Okay. Um, they made it three on three. It is incredible to watch. Okay. There's so much ice. There are so many like crazy sh- chances. Like it's not even like a, a nice like tic tac toe kind of play. It's yeah. like no, they get like a breakaway every now like <laughs> so often, and like the goalie has to stand on his head, and it's like it's incredible. It doesn't go to shootout as much. Which mm. shootout was the the shootout was a terrible patch 
for hockey <laughs> because they used to have tied games. They're like, oh, tied games are boring. Have a shootout. No one likes it. It's the worst. <laughs> but the, for fantasy, um, we I think uh, two years ago we mm-hmm. introduced uh, our league introduced trading draft picks. Okay. So I this is like a conundrum I'm having right now is that I have the number one overall pick, mm-hmm. and this means that I pick first and then I have to wait to the twentieth pick to go a second time. So I'm like missing out on like a lot. Of, of players like yeah. all the best players i get the number one pick but you have to wait so i was like <laughs> trying to envision should i trade like my second third and fourth pick to get back into the first so i have two first round picks and then i wait like 20 or 30 picks kind yeah. of thing yeah or should i trade the first round pick to have two or three second round picks like that really that people are like it's a thing that we're doing that like people are trading their draft picks like it's not just a thing we introduce and no one's doing it like it does impact a lot i think my brother last year uh did that first the, the former strategy of uh trading his second third and i think fourth to get so he had two first round picks and mm. he won the championship that's tight, um, yeah. so it's like it it's impactful like it works uh that's cool man okay there are patches <laughs> i think I think I explained that well. That's fair. And general general reception is well, I guess it's just A equals A. It is what it is, right? Like Yeah, I yeah. well so we vote on it too. Okay. And if it didn't work, we would vote not to have it, but Okay. Voting is weird in my league. Because <laughs> people are weird. But yeah, we do fair, it. Fair. But yeah, I don't know. I kinda wanna play RuPaul's Drag Race fan. <laughs> I don't know. How do you would you after this? I don't I don't feel like it would be too challenging. Yeah. Um, yeah. Next season, why don't we? We'll, we'll go through together. Yeah. It's all just emotion. It's I, all just emotion. <laughs> it's all just reading shade. It's yeah. all madness. Especially so. And for the vice versa for like fantasy football, I have a theory, right? Yeah. And it makes me seem like amazing. Uh, <laughs> I I think there's a bell curve when it comes to how good you are at probably both of these. Um, I think the less you know, probably the better you do because you have no affiliation with a team. You don't. Care Not about some players, swayed. yeah, yeah, and I it's totally like get that. you're exa- you're being like very, like you said, like empirical. Like it's all yeah. about like the numbers and who's performing. You have no like semblance of like what this person did before yeah. this season. Maybe you know a lot of times like a rookie will have a breakout season, and then the sophomore the sophomore slump will happen. And yeah. like I did have, have a little bit of city loyalty, so like, <laughs> but it works in my favor because the best queens usually end up being from Brooklyn, from New York. Oh, they nice. end up being just super freaking weird and yeah. doing like all this really weird stuff. Uh, but I, I I also feel like I was able to sort of go in. Yeah, I was able to go in pretty much blind and just sort of judge people's character, like. From the beginning, it was just sort of like this. So this this season's contestant winner, spoilers. It's really not a big deal. You should know by now. Sasha Valor, she know. won. She's from Brooklyn. And, like, if I had seen any of her stuff prior, uh, it would have totally, like, swayed me. Um, and even though it would have worked to my benefit for, for this season, like, I don't like knowing how that would have impacted me. Like, instead, um, I like that I could look at her character and sort of be like, Hmm, well, she has this crazy resilience, and she's incredibly aware of her weaknesses. So she's going to use that in the way that she choose, she picks teams for a team challenge. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. There, there, there was a lot of like small things like that that you sort of pick up on. So I'm actually curious to see how how you would do with uh, with that. I think it'd be great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, like I think, like you said, like the more like if you like the you know for fantasy sports, like a lot of people would just watch ESPN. They binge it, and it's like. They get in these, these you know, sports uh, journalism, it's a lot about narratives. It's, a, it's yeah. about, like, 
It's like know. Cinderella story, yeah. Exactly. Okay. They, they, you want to see the game itself, but then you're building a story through that. If you watch like uh, HBO's uh, 24-7, like, it's crazy how well they're able to just like take you know, a few interviews and some training montages, and they make this epic like Greek <laughs> tragedy it's just it incre- always happens yeah yeah, yeah and they're yeah. able to like but the thing like i think it gets in people's heads so i think the bulk of the people that play get that in their head and they they don't do well because they start you know questioning like stats and things like that yeah i think the only other well, thing is like that very end of the spectrum is my like my brother who is like an almanac like he knows <laughs> everything so but yeah we're- that's good yeah no, th- th- i i think that's that 100 percent comes to fruition when i think about um i used to live in philly and um, nice nice and so we were so close to each other we just didn't know each other yeah. i remember travesty. you called you said philly jr i was like oh nice yeah, i yeah. never heard of that <laughs> yeah and um they uh i was i was there when the phillies won the world series Mm-hmm. And it was so crazy being around there and seeing the footage of people flipping cars and, like, just seeing everyone kind of have this weird, like, Hulk moment where they're all going crazy. Like, it was very exciting, like, for me. I mean, just watching it and then also having a bunch of friends who are super involved, you know, having it be an emotional thing for them, watching them buy every piece of merch ever. Uh, but also, I can imagine a lot of that's charged by the Cinderella story. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like people who have been rooting for a long time and just are so well acquainted with failure. So, oh yeah, I mean, well, Philly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know that that sounds insulting, but guys, no. I'm just reporting. I mean, say like the Chicago Cubs, same thing. Like, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that signals the end of the world, but yeah, it's like very exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, we actually talked to Soren Johnson from Mohawk Games about strategy games and uh, their parallels to fantasy football. He's a strategy expert. He worked on Civ and stuff. It's pretty great. There we go. Soren Johnson, thanks for joining us. Sure. No problem. Yeah. So for people unaware, can you uh, let us know uh, about yourself and the work you've done? Uh, Sure. Um, I've been a game designer for uh, about 15 years now. Um, I've worked on the uh, Civilization series. I was the co-designer of Civ 3 uh, and the lead designer of Civ 4. Um, and I'm also a programmer. I wrote, wrote the gameplay and AI code for both of those things. Um, and then I went to work at EA for a while. I worked on Spore um, and some Dragon Age stuff. Um, and then I started my own company in 2000, well, early 2013 called Mohawk Games. Um, and we released our first game last year, Off-World Training Company, which is uh, Economic RTS, um, and now we're working on our next game. Awesome. And you're also a host on um, Designer Notes on Idle Thumbs, right? Yeah, that's right. I run a game design podcast where I interview uh, various you know, noted game developers around the industry about their careers and uh, why, they, why they make video games. Awesome. So you're very familiar with uh, strategy games. Can you, it seems like a general question, but can you let me know, like, what attracts you to the genre? Uh, Sure. Um, So, uh, I mean, I love strategy games because, at least I love good strategy games, because they're always different. Um, They're always presenting you with something uh, new and unique. Um, I'm I'm not a huge fan of games that are more sort of like scripted or you know you're essentially just following the dots around i like something that's more freeform and so strategy games are kind of like a great 
you know, one of, one of the great genres for those type of play, um, where you know you're going to get a challenge and you're going to you know probably more more often than get a sort of intellectual challenge. Awesome. Well, so like going along with that, do you consider it at all? You know, more intimidating than your average genre. Uh, do you consider that when you're developing the games that um, they like the, the? I guess the purpose of a strategy game is to be complex, right? So, is that a factor at all when you're when you're uh, creating these games? Um, yeah, there's always a real tension when you're developing a strategy game to, to figure out um, just exactly how complex your game needs should be. Um, and I like to think of it like there's, you know, there's sort of like a certain bucket and you can only fit so many rules into that bucket, um, mm. before, you know, the game, you know, it's just, it's just going to be overflowing. And, and even, even if each of these features or rules considered on their own is a good idea, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to make the game better. Um, and it's also important to think in terms of, you know, that's sort of one idea, like, okay, you can only fit so much stuff into a game, but also the way a game is played affects the size of that bucket, right? So right. Um, a real-time game has a much smaller bucket than a turn-based game um, because if you take away the time pressure, you have the time to consider you know, the situation and you have more, more options and, and, and so on. Um, in fact, uh, Civ, the very first version of Civilization, when Sid was prototyping it, was actually a real-time game um, because he had been sort of inspired by SimCity. Um, and what he found was it was just it was just too much, um, so he switched it to turn-based to kind of slow it down, and like give the player you know concrete choices, um, and then and then it worked. Um, now real-time games have a lot of other advantages, right? It's just important that you you, you recognize that it, there's a you know there's a tension there. Okay, so how do you feel about fantasy football, fantasy sports, and like that? Uh, actually, I used to be really into fantasy, especially fantasy baseball, um, but that was probably over over ten years ago. Oh, really? <laughs> well, do you see like yeah. uh, parallels between um, fantasy sports and uh, strategy games? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I always kind of was kind of thought it was kind of interesting that like you know fantasy baseball, and fantasy football are in a sense like the largest asynchronous strategy games that have, you know, are played. It's just people don't think of it that way. Um, so yeah, I definitely, I definitely understand that. Although it's, it's kind of an interesting point where it, it kind of, um, I think shows the, the benefits and the limitations of theme and setting for a game. Um, because, yeah, there's a ton of people who play fantasy sports games, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to make the leap to play like, um, a game like Crusader Kings or something where, yeah, you're controlling all these different characters and moving them back and forth or whatever. I mean, it's just people aren't aren't necessarily going to make that jump. Um, but there certainly is uh, plenty plenty to be shared between the two. Right. I guess in a way there's sort of like this, uh, there's a little bit of a middle ground. Like it's like, oh yeah, it is time-based, but right. like there's a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's a little bit different to like manage things. That, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, you know what I'm yeah. curious to know about, um, and it kind of uh, relates a little bit with Offworld Trading Company. So mm-hmm. when when it had first came out, I had heard that it was an economic RTS, and that sort of that struck a chord with me because um, I guess the whole idea of being kind of pulled to and fro by the idea of supply and demand is something that I really only 
I really only see in like emergent gameplay. Like for example, I, I did a deep dive into like World of Warcraft. It was horrible. Um, but during that time, you know, sites would pop up that would talk about like the worth of like leather or like metal or things like that. Like, and you could determine right. like whether uh, which profession you wanted to go into because those sort of reagents would yield better coin for you. Uh, th- this was really the first time for me. And to kind of put all my cards on the table, I don't get to play too many strategy games outside of Fire Emblem and like casually playing StarCraft. This was like the first time I was kind right. of coming across that being in there. I mean, w- would you mind talking a little bit about um, that 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 variable um, and that sort of like uh, like how that metric sort of plays into strategizing? Sure. You mean like the free market mechanic? And yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, so initially, you know, part of the reason we made Off World was just that we, not just myself, but the other people at Mohawk, you know, we really liked RTS games. Um, but to some extent, you know, most military RTS games eventually kind of, they sort of play out pretty similarly. Um, and they're very susceptible to like what, what you're called basically like build orders um, that, you know, like, you know, the game comes out, people play it for a whole lot, play a whole lot of it. And then, you know, they get a sense of like, well, okay, what we figured out is there are these two or three different patterns you can follow, which gives you sort of a huge advantage. And that's because, you know, we figured out, um, you know, the way this damage does against this armor and the amount the way that the designers balanced it was a little bit off you know, like this, this unit is actually more powerful than its cost. Um, and, you know, maybe the developer takes the time to keep patching the game to keep trying to, like, balance that stuff out. You know, maybe. But what we thought of is, like, well, you know, if we went and we made an economic RTS, some of this stuff would actually just happen naturally. Right. Right. Um, right. In that each of the you could you can almost think of, like, all the different resources in Offworld, like, different units in an rts game right because they each have a different use and a different reason and kind of a different value um but um and you can and beyond that like you it's just it's kind of a mistake to try to get into all of them you know you kind of need to specialize in a few um but at the same time there's no like best resource like that doesn't even make sense right if right. if um if you know, if everyone thinks, you know, oftentimes with a lot of new players, like, oh, you got to get into electronics because that's worth the most. Well, right. fine. If you're playing a four-player game and three people get into electronics, well, they're going to crash the market. And then, right. you know, the player who didn't do that is going to, you know, walk away with it. Um, so that was a pretty, that that turned out to be basically true. It, it was, um, um, you know, it worked out really well in gameplay. And then we kind of basically just took that and we kind of to tried to, um, extend that into other gameplay systems as much as we could. So, like, um, you know, so we have, like, the auctions are in the game, which, you know, again, are sort of, like, in a sense, market-based because it's it's up to the players to decide what the value is. Um, and, uh, um, like, if, if I auction something off that's super powerful, well, then it's just up to the players to decide, um, you know, to, to value it correctly. Um the uh, the way the black market works in that you know every time anyone in the game buys you know an EMP or a mutiny or whatever it increases the price for everyone so you know if if the different items on the black market well maybe people think like oh mutinies are so much more valuable than dynamite well eventually those two things are going to balance out because if people buy the mutinies more their prices are going to go up faster um, so you know it kind of like in this case like our um, 
because you know it's, it's themed as an economic RTS, the more we could we, we were kind of free to kind of like put that type of gameplay in as many different places in the game as possible. That's brilliant, dude. That so Matt, that aligns a little bit with our parallel uh, between uh, like strategy and fantasy. Because so we've been we've been Matt and I have been talking a little bit about like. Uh, the sort of independent variable that that thing that kind of changes it, and you were kind of saying for fantasy football, it can be stats, it can be injuries. That sort of throws in that random wild card where it kind of makes the the decisions you make a little bit like a there's a little bit of like risk. You have to think a little bit about risk aversion. Mm-hmm. In my in my head, at least, like looking at let's plays, I I got a similar thing with that idea of supply and demand, and I think I think it, it also works with. Uh, RuPaul's Drag Race as well, <laughs> where there's sort of like a you know morale or their personalities or whatever. That that's really cool to see, uh, just that 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 additional cog kind of tossed in there with supply and demand. It, it made me think a little bit, and I hope this doesn't read as like uh, demeaning anyway. I don't, I don't think it should for me. It reminded me of like when I was like super young, like playing uh, uh, Roller Coaster Tycoon, where they sort of right. had like, oh yeah, people were really interested in this, interested in that, and then that would sort of determine whether you were going to put together, I don't know, like a hot dog stand or whatever. But right. like, I, I imagine on this on the on an RTS level, it, it's much more complex, and there are so many different ways that you can uh, strategize in your favor. But uh, it, it is really cool to see that additional complication thrown in there. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Did you know there were over one million bubbles in a glass of champagne? Did someone say brunch? Leave the egg hunting to the kids. We'll have even more fun hunting for your brilliant brunch, Riesling. Ham's sweet and salty richness pairs perfectly with sweeter wines with bold fruit. How about a juicy Pinot Noir? Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine and More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! I feel like strategy games in particular, like, a lot can be determined outside of your control, whereas a lot of games, like you said, you know, you don't really prefer scripted linear experiences where, you know, there's a very particular way you do something, even in, like, League of Legends, which I play a lot of, you know, there is a path to victory that's kind of, you know, obvious to you, um, whereas I think strategy games fantasy things like that like they have the freedom to kind of throw curveballs that you don't expect do, do you uh what, what what are your actual like thoughts about chance and like you know we're going to give you something that you didn't expect and you have to like roll with it, it, you, it maybe it feels unfair but you know there's that element of like no you gotta like this this is how the economy is going this is how where we placed your base like how, how, you know how do you feel about sure. that in game design yeah so there's a lot of things to say about probability um and there's a number of different ways to look at it. Uh, one is what type of game you're making, um, because if you're making a game that's single-player focused, um, there's just a lot more room for using luck and chance in it. Um, and this just kind of goes to player psychology. If something, um, if something really weird happens to a player or unusual, if something you know really some sort of extreme event happens in a single-player game. Uh, generally, people generally people are accepting of that um, uh, because it's like, well, this is my story, and I'm playing along with it. And like, you know, if they decide they're not okay with it, they also have the option, the sort of out of game option, of just you know loading, you know, just loading a save from a few turns before, right? Uh, whereas mm-hmm. in multiplayer, um, people have there's there's just more of a sense that they want the game to be pure. They don't want it to come down to random random chance. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Having said that, randomness gives a game a ton of like playability. Um, yeah. So it's a pretty important tool, and it's just kind of it's important to think through how chance is used. And one one good way to consider it is: does the randomness happen before or after the player is taking is is making a decision, right? Um, in that. And, you know, I mean, this is kind of like a gross generalization, but generally speaking, good randomness comes before the player makes a choice. So that means you may, you generate a random map or you deal out a hand of cards or, you know, you create some situation and then the player has to respond to it. Now, quote unquote, bad randomness, which, you know, still can be used in a game, but if you do it too much, can, can feel wrong, is the you make a decision, OK, I'm going to attack this guy's territory and risk. And then I just keep rolling ones, right? Like that's hmm. that's the sort of the bad, the potentially bad randomness is the player makes a decision, and then the game tells you whether it was successful or not. So, you know, randomness is a, a, a very good tool, but you want to generally think of like where can I put in randomness for stuff that happens before? So like there's a whole lot of randomness in, in off world, but most of it happens just right at the very beginning. You know, the the, the random map, the random colony the random items on the black market, the random prices, um, all of all of that stuff. Um, and then once the game c continues, there are some random events that happen from time to time, but they're not they're not like a huge overwhelming uh, force in the game. Okay. It, it, is the value are you kind of saying, correct me if I'm wrong, you're kind of saying the value around like um, really good randomness is kind of placed on uh, blame like if, sure. if it's if it's more on the, if it's more on the player's fault, then it's sort of like better randomness. Is that is that sort of where I'm leaning from? That? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean because the, you know they, they got a hand of cards and then they had to make a decision about what to do, right. right? Right. And it's like either they made the right decision or the wrong decision, as opposed to, you know, they played a card and then they you know they rolled a one and then that card now fails, right? Um, so, I mean, you can still make games like that, but it's you know you have to be aware that you're you know that you're making that. You're putting the user, the player, in that, in that situation. For sure. Uh, on the discussion of like common practices and things that are traditional and things that are kind of good and bad, I'm curious to know: um, were there any, if there were any, uh, were there any fundamentals or lessons that you learned while working on Civ that you kind of brought? It? It's safe to assume Offworld's a little bit of your baby and an extension of the thoughts that that you've sort of had, uh, different things that you've sort of learned while, you, while right. working in strategy games. Yeah, were there any, like, lessons that you brought into that that ended up being pretty helpful? And then on the flip side, were there any conventions that you were trying to get away from or trying to reform uh, when working off-world? Sure. So things I, I brought in from Civ? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I was, I was in the Civ world for so long, it's kind of like, I can't really even imagine what type of designer I'd be without that stuff. Fair. Um, so it's kind of hard to, to look through. Uh, like, I know one thing is, uh, in, in Offworld, I came up... So most RTS games have technologies, right? You build a research center, and then you start researching various technologies, right? Which might make your you know Marines stronger, or your tanks faster, or whatever, right? So yeah. in Offworld, we have the patent lab, and you can there's like 12 different unique technologies there's like teleportation which means you don't need ships anymore uh there's like virtual reality which means you make more money from your pleasure dome you know they all do these kind of like different different sort of orthogonal things to the game um and i thought well since they're patents wouldn't it be kind of cool that like unlike in most rts games only one person can get them 
right? Like, whoever acquires it first, like, ah, because this guy has teleportation, that yeah. means no one else can get it, and that affects, you know, this map, because you knew maybe your opponent really wanted teleportation, and now they're going to have to go for, you know, something yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that creates this nice little kind of sort of, like, board gamey feel. Um, and I was like, it was really, cl- I thought I was being really clever, um, until, like, there was one journalist who was like, oh, so you must have gotten this idea from Wonders of the World at Civ, and I was like, oh, yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're probably right. I, I didn't, I, you know, I certainly didn't think of it that way, but I can't. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're on the uh, inside, you don't look at it in this branded way that, like, oh, I'm going to take it. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think the thing that I would try to avoid from the, the Civ world, and I think this is just sort of like a blessing and a curse for Civ, is that um, Civ has a wonderful theme, right? The history of the world. You know, you're leading your people from, you know, the Stone Age to the Modern Age, right? I mean, that's a, that's a great hook. Um, but the downside is, is that games of Civ are just, generally speaking, they're just too long. Um, they kind of like, they, they, usually they finish well after you're past that sweet spot where the game is, there's still some tension going on in the game. And, you know, you're still, you're still expanding, you're still exploring, you know, usually at that point the world is just kind of fulfilled and there's just been like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. fills up, um, it's a problem. Yeah, I, I know I know some campaigns can last, what, like multiple hours to an entire weekend. I've, uh, right. I've seen some campaigns of Offworld run for about like 45 minutes and I'm curious to know uh, what intent or hopes went behind that sort of like play length. Yeah, so, so that's and it. was so it was it challenging the, also? <laughs> yeah, so when we designed the, uh, so you're asking about the off-world campaign, like yeah, how yeah. we planned that. Yeah, so yeah, with the off-world campaign, you know, I sort of asked myself at a high level, like, well, how long do I want it to be, right? And that's the thing that the Civ designers can't ask themselves, um, at least not not very easily. They can't just be like, okay, we want the game to be five hours, right? I mean, they can say that, but there's no way. They'd have to change the scope of the game, right? They'd have to drop the modern era or something. Um, so for me, I was like, well, I'd love, I'd love people to be able to play the campaign in an evening, right? So that probably means like three hours, right? Right. Um, and a match of Offworld is probably about 20, 25 minutes. So hmm. I was like, well, then maybe how about if we make the campaign last seven weeks and each week is a, is a mission, right? You can kind of just sort of do the math. And it just sort of it just sort of works out, right? Yeah. With a little bit of like management going on between the missions, um, and so like I set that as just a constraint, and then everything else, you know, kind of like adjusted to match it. Righteous. Okay. I'm kind of curious since you um you programmed the AI for Civ Four, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And uh, I I don't know, like I kind of just wanted to hear your thoughts on like the idea of diplomacy in these games. Like I think that's just sure. like, a cool aspect, and uh, that's like one of the probably biggest things I appreciate about playing fantasy because I, you know, it's about trading with other people and yep. stuff, and like dealing with those personalities, like a Gandhi. Yep. So yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, diplom- diplomacy is really tricky uh, because um, you kind of realize that the. The human doesn't want. The human may think that they want the other AI players to act like a human, but they actually really don't. Um, because, well, let me just put it this way: like, let's say you play a game of Risk with like four friends, right? Um, and let's say you're starting to steamroll, right? Like, you're in a position where you're in a pretty, you're a pretty dominant position. 
seems like you're obviously the top player, right? Um, if all of the other, if all of your friends decide to gang up on you, you might be you might be miffed, right? But you wouldn't feel like they're doing something totally unfair or out of out of the context of the game, right? Like that's a very that's that's kind of the thing you're supposed to do in Risk. When one player gets ahead, you're supposed to try to pull them back from the pack, mm, right? Yeah. Now, in Civ, and in fact, actually, in the first Civ, it actually worked like this. When the human, after a certain uh, year uh, in the game, if the human was in first place, the, all of the AIs just automatically declared war on them, right? Um, and players hated that um, because they just felt like it felt like the AI was treating them differently. Um, you know, the AI was gaining up on them. You yeah. know, this is not this is not the experience they wanted to have, um, and that's because. It, especially when you're playing a long form strategy game like Civ, it's not you're not really playing a competitive game. It's some sort of weird hybrid between like a competitive game and like a role playing game, right? Because when you're That's on fair. this long, you know, fifteen twenty hour experience, you know, you kind of want some nice resolution at the end. And if you feel like, like the game is just will do anything, anything that it want and it can to beat you, it's just it's just not a good experience. For right? sure, yeah. Um, so that's that's one of the real weird issues is, um, you know, how, you know, how much like a human should they actually behave? Like, it's not hard to get to actually act like a human. It's just a question of whether that's actually a good idea or not. Um, and I also say that another um, interesting one, since so you brought up trading, is trading is really, um, uh, trading is really hard to get right um, because... Uh, especially uh, technology trading, for example, because that's an example of something, a trade where you're, you're, you're giving something to your, you know, your rival, but you're not actually losing anything, right? Like if I trade you bronze working, I'm not actually losing bronze working. I'm just giving it to you, right? Um, and so the human quickly figures out that, oh, well, I should just, I should trade this, I should trade my techs away as much as possible you know, I'll take this one bronze working and trade it to all of these six other sieves and get a, you know, a special, you know, a different tech for each one of them, right? I'll turn my one tech into six other techs, and sure, all of the other AIs got bronze working, but uh, but it really didn't cost me anything, right? Um, and the there really is actually no good solution to that. Like that's, oh, that's just. Yeah, that's just like a it kind of comes corroboration flaw. in a way. Yeah, yeah. I never like a, thought about that. that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, so I, you know, I knew a lot of humans were doing that. So I actually in Civ three, I actually programmed the AI to do that. And again, this goes back to like, should the AI act like a human? So I yeah. had all of the AIs constantly talking with each other and trying to pull off these trades, you know, like that 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 benefited them as much as they possibly could. And so even though the, the AI was playing by the rules of the game players hated that because what it felt like is that gang, the AIs gang had, yeah, were gaining up. They were like, they are this cabal or cartel or something that right. was just, you know, trading their techs with each other as, as, you know, quickly as possible. And beyond that, it just felt like all of the other AIs were always at the same tech level, uh, which was also bad. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, that's it's, just brilliant. It's <laughs> one of those things. I feel like I played age of mythology and I was always the one behind on tech. Because I'm bad at it. But no, uh, so I love the idea of strategy games. I probably should have uh, let you know early on where it's like, I love strategy games, but I, I just like have 
difficulty with them, um, mm-hmm. and maybe they, they come off a little bit intimidating, and they should, I think, a little bit. Like, they should be complex, and because sure. you want to be playing with the, these economies and whatnot. But, like, I think I saw, like, a Reddit AMA with you where someone asked, like, why should I play this? And you were like, because it's fun, like, uh, which is, like, probably, like, the go-to answer <laughs> to what I'm about to ask of, like... For like people I hope like I said me, like, a little bit better than that. Yeah, no, I think I think I made you, <laughs> I made you sound like you came off like a jerk. No, you said it was totally fine. It made sense at your answer, but no, like um, I don't know, like what would be your advice to like maybe someone like me where it's like I I really want to get into strategy games. I find fantasy football really fun, and I sure. I feel like that's for me like. I can see the elements between the two of them, and I'm like, okay, I think I would enjoy this, um, but sure. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of it comes down to, you know, personality and choosing the right game and the right context or format. So what? Okay. So you you guys play a lot of fancy sports. I'm, I'm taking it. Um, and uh, what what strategy games have you guys played? Oh man, Age of Mythology, Fire Emblem, Civ Four. Okay. Yeah. And then for me, okay. it would be Fire Emblem and StarCraft. Okay, and you like all of those games? I like Fire Emblem a lot. Uh, okay. StarCraft stresses me out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so, um, I mean, I think part of it is, is not jumping into... I mean, real-time games can be fun, but you got to figure out um, sort of so a good starter one. That makes sense. Um, one I'd re- one I often like to recommend to people because I think it's it's a very well made game and it's also a real time strategy game even though it's it's the scope is really pared down. Is there is this game called uh, Adam Zombie Smasher and it's on it's on Steam and it's probably like ten bucks or something at this point. It's it was it's an indie game from a number of years ago, but right it's on. it's basically an RTS where you're like trying to rest like it's uh, it's you know it's a zombie game. There's there's a bunch of you know there's a bunch of like uh, humans that you need to rescue in the middle of the town, and you um, you have like basically like five or six different tools you can use to um, you know keep the zombies at bay until like the helicopters can come in and rescue the, the guys right. Um, okay. And so that could be like a set of, a sniper you put down, you point him in a certain direction, or you you place down three roadblocks. Or like oh, so uh, like as they're uh, coming, you're sort of setting up your right. armada. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Exactly. And you don't have to actually control units, which is I think kind of like one of those big uh, uh, roadblocks for people. Right. You just have to sort of telegraph their like their like course of action and try to place things, people strategically. Yeah. You you can convey your intention, and then the units sort of like take care of that you know automatically. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that that's so that's that's a great one to like uh, dip your toe into if you want to see if you kind of like like real time games. Like I'm trying to think like what's um, like StarCraft is actually a pretty hardcore RTS in that it's like it's so it's so pared down. Um, but um, I mean, as far as turn based games, if you like Fire Emblem, have you, I mean, have you played XCOM? I think I, you know I what? keep hearing about it's that one of those one. games yeah. in my Steam library that I've got yeah, and yeah, it just yeah. sits there. It's yeah. in Steam Q Hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, XCOM and Darkest Dungeon would be what I'd recommend. Heard Darkest Dungeon. You try. Okay, cool. If you if you if you like the idea of like sort of like a stable of heroes, right? Um, and uh, you know, leveling them up over time. Um, uh, Darkest Dungeon is a, is a little bit a little lighter in the sense that. Um, 
the campaigns is not well it will be you'll probably get to the meat of the game faster that way whereas XCOM's a little bit more of an epic experience but i think those will both be pretty good pretty good choices both those games so. have like permadeath in them right which is like Sort of. Yeah. Um, so you can play... Yeah. I mean, so XCOM has essentially an Iron Man mode, right? Which is... Um, which means you can only... Like, there's only one save file, right? So if your guys die, yeah, they die permanently. But that is just an option. You can you can play the normal way. Wait, that's um, what we I were talking that. about. Wait, wait, wait. So, like, when you die, it auto-saves? And, yes. And you can... Right. Oh, someone did it. That's great. Cool. <laughs> we, were, we were literally talking about, wouldn't it yeah. be so horrible and great? Okay. Cool. Sure, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's just it's a contentious feature. I actually believe that they that it's a problem that they shouldn't have permadeath so much in XCOM. Like it's very gripping, and it is kind of like a core thing that people think about with XCOM. But the problem is, is that you know unless you play with saves and you just sort of like are okay with that, it leads to a really defensive play style. Right, because you're always worried. Your your primary thing you're worried about is not winning the game or beating the level. The primary thing you're worried about is like I don't want to die. (laughs) Right. right. So you you do these really like you know kind of like just isn't that the point of video games? A test of the human condition. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's what it means is you'll just like you'll move forward like one tile at a time. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're doing this mission where you're playing for two hours, even though it should take you 20 minutes. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I actually think that they, they would be much better off if they really committed more to like an injury system where, um, you know, instead of getting killed, you just get in, incapacitated. Right. And you, you're like, Oh, I lost my, I lost my best guy, but I only lost him for, you know, four missions or something like that. Mm. Or maybe his, you know, he hurt his leg, so now it affects him in a specific way, but I can still keep playing the game. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> whereas for a lot of people, if, like, the guy dies, it's just like, well, that's it. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Um, do, do any games do that? Because that's where you lose characters? Or, like, get injured. Like in, like, well, fantasy football where it's like, oh, I lost my guy for, like, three weeks mm, kind of thing. Yeah. Like, so so this is, uh, these are games where, uh, one term you probably might hear a lot about in relation to this, something called roguelike, um, right. in right. that there's this really old game called Rogue, which is basically like a dungeon crawler, um, and it was all about this concept of like permadeath. Um, and it's been, you know, it's a super influential game. It's led to a whole bunch of things. Um, and the games that kind of like fall from this have that same basic idea. Um, and uh, yeah, so, I mean, Darkest Dungeon is another interesting one to discuss because they kind of come up with a different solution. So they totally have permadeath as well. And I, I don't, I don't remember if they give you the option to save or not. I'm not sure, but there's something about it which makes it not that big of a deal, which is that your characters can die, which is painful. But unlike XCOM, XCOM has this overarching campaign that you can win or lose, right? So that's the reason why it's so painful to lose your best guys in XCOM because mm. you know you're working your way through this campaign and like so let's say halfway half, halfway through you lose your best guys. And then you're going to be like, well, I'm not going to, my, by the time I get to the end, I, I, I've lost my best guys. I'll never be able to level new guys up to the level they'll need to be by the time I get to the end, right? So, yeah. you know, for a lot of people, they're like, well, the game isn't, isn't technically over, but it makes, it actually is over, right? Um, and Darkest Dungeon, um, you know, you take four guys on these, on these dungeon crawls and they can die during them. And if they die, you have to replace them. But, um, 
but there is no end date to the darkest dungeon campaign it's just waiting for you right like there's these these number of of dungeons for you to beat and they'll get harder and harder and then eventually there's a final one and then mm. when you beat it you win the game but you can't lose the game right you can it, can, it might take you longer and of course that could be frustrating but you can't actually lose it and it's kind of an open question which approach is better because um, having an open-ended game like Darkest Dungeon makes it feel kind of grindy. Mm, um, yeah. So it's just kind of like you just might want to think about which of those two th- two systems you might prefer before going into whichever one of those games. Well, thanks for talking to us. Yeah, it's been yeah. a pleasure. Yeah. This, is, this has been great. This is all this sure. this whole thing has been just a learning experience. <laughs> <laughs> Right yeah, it was cool. Great. Great talking to you guys. Uh, thanks. Thanks to Soren Johnson for talking to us. Up next, Forbes contributors Eric Kane and Paul Tassi talk about the new Destiny 2. Hi, this is Eric Kane. And this is Paul Tassi. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Destiny 2 today, which just launched. Uh, beginning of September, and I don't know, I've been playing it quite a bit of it for the last couple days. Uh, I've beat the campaign. You, you beat the campaign, right? Yes, I've also been playing quite a bit of it, if by that you mean nonstop. <laughs> nonstop, yeah. I would be doing that, except for, uh, you know, I have children to take care of and, and things like that. But uh, though they did, my son sat with me and watched as I, as I finally took down Gaul the bullet sponge uh, at the end of the campaign. And that, so that was fun. Nice. He was pretty invested, although it was pretty funny. He said, he, I let him play just uh, a little bit on his own afterwards. And he was going around the European dead zone. And uh, I, then it was dinner time and he, he came in and he said, you know, destiny two is just like destiny one. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was pretty funny because this was totally unprompted. He had never, you know, obviously he's seven. He doesn't read, criticism of of video games online or anything like that and it was this was just his unvarnished seven-year-old opinion um, it's pretty accurate i'd say yeah. that, that's kind of a good you know <laughs> discussion point because that's something kind of a lot of people have said that destiny 2 is more like destiny 1.5 and i don't know i don't view that necessarily as a bad thing right. uh, i mean they only had I think kind of two total years lead up time um, after finishing DLC for the first game to start digging into this one, whereas they had like five years before that. Uh, so I kind of understand what they did here, which is a game that really feels very much the same. But since a lot of stuff worked well the first time, they just kind of focused on minor improvements, like kind of across the board. I don't, is that what you've seen as well? Yeah, I, I think... I think that uh, uh, quite a few minor improvements that lead to an overall sense that it is a much better game, especially compared to Vanilla Destiny. Um, yeah, Vanilla Destiny then, was kind of an incoherent mess just because of how troubled production was, whereas this, they kind of had their, their heads screwed on straight this time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think some of the changes are actually kind of large, uh, like the campaign. is I, I would say just having a real story with real characters and... In a dramatic conclusion, it really felt very different from what we got with the original Destiny um, in a pretty big way. But mostly, yeah, the changes are pretty small. Um, 
graphically, you know, it looks very similar, but you can definitely tell that it's a, a higher fidelity game. The reflections on the water, things like that really look nice. But it certainly retains that same aesthetic. You know, you're not seeing like a leaps and bounds like you may, you know, like we've seen from in other franchises. Yeah, I mean, it's it's new zones, but the zones, a lot of them kind of look like older zones combined with one another. <laughs> yeah. And there's some new enemies, like the Cabal has some new enemies, but some of the races don't really have any new enemy types at all. Like the Hive and, and Vex don't, I don't mm-hmm. believe. Um, so you're kind of shooting the same guys you have killed 5,000 times already. Uh, so that, mm-hmm. that kind of helps it feel the, the same, I think. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, I, I just think overall, there, yeah, the, like you said about the zones, that's that's an interesting observation because I think there are a couple that feel more new than the others. But um, like, uh, what is it? That is it Titan? That's the the water one, the water world. That's yeah. that's kind mm-hmm. of unique, I think. Um, and certainly, like the European Dead Zone is a much more lush and sort of vibrant and alive Earth location than. The first game's uh, kind of old wasteland, Russia. <laughs> old Russia. It was it was very barren, and and here we actually have like kind of beautiful areas. You know what I really liked was in the campaign that level where you're on the rooftops. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I I would love if there was like an open area where you could go explore like the tops of a of a ruined city. I think that was a really cool. You'd concept. be surprised. You can get up pretty high in, in some of those can locations. You? So they they're they kind of surprise you with. Because kind of future side quests will take you places you are not really expecting into parts of the map that you didn't really even know existed. Cool. So it is, it's pretty cool. Uh, that, that's one of the aspects I like the most about it is kind of the sense of discovery where, yeah, you have these like big open areas filled with guys spawning. But there are so many kind of like winding pathways that take you, you know, some of them are specifically designated to like take you to a loot boss or something. But you go some really kind of unexpected places and it's, it's pretty fascinating to just kind of explore around the whole map. It feels a lot like, you know, the taken King when they had all those kind of secret <laughs> passageways here, there and everywhere. And I, I think they realized that people like that. So they've kind of taken that to heart and have put that in a lot of the levels to a certain extent, which I, I really yeah, like. I really, a lot. I really do like the level design this time around. I do feel like it's a lot more interesting and, and enjoyable. I just I feel like the game in general is more enjoyable. I, I even just down to the gunplay I feel like is better this time around. And I know that it was good the first time, but I really I don't know something about it is just it, or maybe I'm just better at it now. I don't know. <laughs> uh after all these years of playing Destiny, but I it feels it just feels really good. Uh, yeah, I mean I always I always thought Destiny gunplay was pretty it was kind of best in in class and I was a little worried with the the betas because it something just felt like felt off. It didn't feel like Destiny, where you weren't doing enough damage, your abilities recharged like super slowly. It was like it was kind of like being nerfed as the player, which was not fun. And then apparently they had already changed those values in the beta to the final product, but even more complaining. And, and now we do like tons of damage to the point where the, the, I've, I've thought the difficulty curve has been kind of interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. Where I haven't, at least in PVE content, I haven't really died that much and it always kind of seems like I'm, I'm mowing through most enemies outside of a few kind of big bosses like have you found that as well like with the difficulty yeah. curve there were the only times I found myself dying kind of a lot were um well there was this one part in in uh in a vex mission where there just was so many enemies and there were some that were like blowing up with electricity 
you remember that oh, mission? Fanatics. Well, yeah. the fanatic. Yeah, um, that kind of got me. That seems surprisingly harder compared to what it had come before. And it, and I figured it out pretty quickly, but there was just this moment where I was like, holy crap, there's a lot of guys here. <laughs> Any, um, anytime they have stuff blowing up on top of you, like kamikaze yeah. kind of enemies, that's really bad. <laughs> that yeah, that, that, and that gets poorly. you at first anyways. And yeah. and then um, just, yeah, a couple of the bosses, I, I guess like I was saying about the final boss, he just had a lot of life and it just took a while what, to what, get him. It what level hard. were you when you got to the end? Were you twenty? I don't. I I got to twenty after I already finished it, and then got to the, um, got back to the home base area. Oh, okay, gotcha. So I wasn't twenty until after I beat him. You could have. Uh, yeah, maybe been. maybe you were a little under level because I I didn't find him to be that hard. But I kind of like I kind of like the way it's been balanced overall because I've so far I've been playing pretty much solo, and yeah. there has not really been anything I've been unable to complete. Or I'm like, oh, well, this clearly needs you know one or two more guys because this is just too hard and yeah, I, I, I have not even in some of these you know challenging side missions i have not run into anything that's required a lot of people and the stuff that does like public events uh i don't know how the game does this exactly but i think kind of when you check into a public event it almost does some kind of matchmaking in that in that moment because all the public events i've done have two three four people at them like every time and i that, that's something that i did not see a lot in destiny one even at launch so I, i'm kind of excited to see that here well what they've done with public events is really interesting because they've put them on the map now there's a map which makes it easier to see them <laughs> and find believe them. there was and no map for three years <laughs> I, I know i i mean just it, it makes it's just it makes the uh, quality of life so much better in in this game but they also put almost all the public events really near a landing zone on the map so it's really easy to get to them, basically. Yeah, so it's you easy see to get to them, and then you see when they're about to start on the map. It's it's a great it's, system. It's a great system. I've gone to more of them in the last couple of days, just on average, than I ever did in the first game, just because they were they're just so easy to get to, and you might as well because you get loot, and it's we and and most of the time it's been successful. There've been a couple that I've lost. At um, there was one that only like one other guy showed up to, and. I don't know. I think I was level 11 and this guy was like level eight. And this, this, uh, it was against a, a big, um, uh, what are the big eyes? The big Servitor? orbs. Servitor. Yeah. I just couldn't think of the name. It was a yeah. really big one. And he had a just enormous health bar and we, yeah, we didn't, we didn't win. I that lost one. that one too. That's, I think that's one of the only ones I've ever lost just cause he's yeah. got so much health and he's like invulnerable, but <laughs> yeah, it just, it was, it just, I mean, there but generally, I mean, generally, you can complete most of them pretty frequently, and I find myself yeah. like even stopping in the middle of the mission to do them because they're they're well organized. Um, I'm yeah. I'm curious. Do you think, kind of overall, that Destiny Two is going to be able to kind of dramatically expand the base of the first one and like kind of get people playing that weren't before? Because I know Bungie wants this to be like the next Halo, and while it did attract a fan base, I'm I'm wondering kind of if this is going to take it to the next level. Like, what do you think? I think it can. I mean, I think that, you know, if, if the first Destiny had launched with the campaign and, and the quality of life stuff that this one has, it would have been a whole different ballgame. Uh, the, the campaign in the first game was just so lackluster. And so many of the, the reviewers and early adopters were just, it kind of left them with a bad taste in their mouth. Uh, the game improved quite a bit over time, but a lot of people had already walked away. 
this time around, we have a really good product right off the ground. So you've got a good campaign, you've got a map to use, uh, you have just kind of all the pieces in place. I've, I don't know. Have you played any of the Crucible yet? I have not played uh, one second of the Crucible yet. By the time you're hearing this, I probably will have played, but <laughs> yeah, not, not so yeah. much right now. Um, right. I've this, been doing this is a pre-recorded stuff. broadcast. Yes. <laughs> um, this is like this is on September seventh, just for context, so that you know when right this does lunch, go yeah. live, we we don't sound like we've only played a few hours. Um, but yeah, I, so I played the Crucible also, and I think it's I've really had a lot of fun with it actually. And I'm not a huge PvP player, just because some people are just so good that sometimes it's disheartening. But I've had some good. I mean, I've had some good and some bad games, and um, but I feel like overall I've had more good games than bad games and in a and I just have enjoyed it more than Destiny's PvP. So overall I think the whole game is such a big improvement. Um in mo in more ways than it's not that I think it can attract a wider base, but it, it does have an uphill battle. Yeah. I, I am curious to see if it's kind of gonna make itself more accessible than because you know every year Call of Duty's like the big game that everyone plays because you just pick up and play matches. But I, I'm wondering if it may be Destiny now that it's like so streamlined and they've taken away kind of a decent amount of the RPG elements, like, you know, random gun rolls and a lot of the currencies, like if more people mm-hmm. will be able to get into it, because that to me is, it was kind of one of the barriers to entry. Whereas I feel like this, it's, it's a lot more kind of cohesive to pick up and play and like understand the campaign and kind of do oh, the yeah. other activities from there. And, and it's so much more gratifying yeah. because like you need the tokens for everything now. Yeah. Right, so mm-hmm. you need the crucible tokens. You need different tokens for each planet, um, and so on and so forth. But those are it's just so straightforward. But the system makes sense. It's like okay, it do this sense. activity, go to this yeah. guy, you know, level up. It's not and you, know. you, you get those tokens all over the place. So it's 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 just you go out and you play the game. You get tokens. You you just you can always get something no matter what you're doing. You always can get something out of it, and I like that. Um, yeah, also, fewer Eng- engrams to to. Uh, decrypt yeah you mostly only, just only find items it's just legendary and exotics and all the rest mm-hmm. are just items that drop which is is great and that's another example of, of streamlining that's just been like so good so mm-hmm. i'm really excited to to kind of see that yeah they've really peeled back a lot of the the stuff that made it both opaque and less enjoyable and just harder to like destiny for the longest time the first game really puzzled me i'll be honest i didn't i wasn't I mean, it was a new kind of game for one thing, but then all the different currencies and all the different ways of like gaining reputation with different factions. And it was, it was just a, like without kind of really being involved with that game, you, you didn't really know what was going on. I think a lot of people just kind of didn't know what was going on. And uh, it took a while for me to really get into it because of that. Like after the campaign. After I, the campaign in the original, like you kind of just hit a wall because unless yeah. you were raiding, unless you were getting the right raid drops, there was just simply like kind of no more making progress after that point. It was like you get these drops to hit the next two bonus levels or you don't and that's it or else you just sit yeah. there. Whereas now you can at least like, – the raid is still kind of the ultimate end-all be-all of top tier kind of gear and, and leveling and stuff. But there's all these in- incremental upgrades you can get along the way to always feel like you're making progress. Like I finished the campaign, I don't know, 10, 15 hours ago and I'm still, you know, making progress and I'm still crawling towards, you know, whatever the soft cap is right now, which you could not do in the original launch. So I think that has been a, a very significant improvement um, that I've, I've really kind of appreciated. 
And I think that's Bungie learning from feedback in the past three mm-hmm. years. Do you feel like the the activities you have available are varied enough to be fun? Like the adventures and the patrols and the strikes and everything else? I do. And it's tough because Destiny is such a long-term game that you don't know what's going to feel <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of terrible over time if you do it like 50 million times. But but so far, kind of introducing patrol as this another a, a third kind of activity that's actually really gratifying to play in addition to strikes and crucible and I guess the raid is is nice and there's a lot to do there. And I may run out I'm I'm gonna run out of side quests soon, but then you can start redoing those for more tokens and it, it does seem like there's really kind of a lot to do, certainly more more so than the first game. Yeah, and it feels more like a game you can kind of pick up and put down too. I feel like there's, yeah, right there's before not... we recorded this, I had like I had like ten minutes, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna find a lost sector and just you know, yeah, because it's like a five minute activity, and it's just something you can do randomly. And or if you have five hours to spare, you know, here do your first raid and mm-hmm. see how that goes. <laughs> it is yeah, uh, I, I it's a lot. I do agree with you though that the whole thing would have been better if you had a sparrow from like this third mission. Yeah, there's these like really weird kind of changes that they've made that I don't understand. Like they're pretty minor in the grand scheme of things, but that's one where you're just kind of forced to run around for the first eight hours or so. Yeah, that which... one's really puzzling because they can always just turn off when and when you can't. Right, I don't know what that would have changed. So that was a strange decision. Um, the changes to the shader system is something I've been talking about recently. Yeah where now they're kind of one-time use and people are saying that's a way to sell loot boxes, which... Well, and they only work for one piece of gear, too. Yeah, exactly. Which is weird. You have to build up like stacks and stacks and stacks of them as opposed to just having one that works for everything. So that seems puzzling, too. But I guess if those are kind of the game's most major problems at this point, that's kind of a good thing. Yeah. (laughs) Because in the grant, like those, those are both things that can be easily changed if need be. It's not like... This game has no story, which was a really big problem of the first game and one that's been kind of resolved here to a certain extent. But yeah. minor stuff can be can be tweaked, so that's fine. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, the story is nothing special. But it is in- rating on a curve, it's it's yeah. pretty good for mm-hmm. Destiny. But I mean it's it's definitely a lot better. It's still kind of like, okay, it's a lot of that bungee specific stuff that you get with, you know, the light and the darkness and the proper nouns, the, the yeah, the everything, you know, what is, what is the big uh, spaceship that can kill suns? Um, the almighty, the almighty. Yeah. It's just yeah. crap like that. It gets, I mean, I get it. It's all kind of archetypal stuff, but it's, it's just, I mean, Outside of like Cade Six, I still have a hard time getting into any of it, and Cade's just funny. So it's kind of to me like I really I enjoyed that mission where he's stuck in the teleporter because I thought oh, that's pretty funny, you know. Yeah, it's that a, was funny. <laughs> it's a clever little, you know, and but and you know the uh, the uh, the console, the other uh, Cabal leader, he yeah. was just hideous looking. I loved him. <laughs> just because- favorite character. Yeah, they oh, all remind me of bad Max villains. <laughs> yeah, and like in like Warhammer forty thousand outfits. Yeah, but I like those scenes. I like the scenes where you get to have the the villains actually talking to each other and kind uh-huh. of explaining, you know, what's going on, why they're doing the things they do, as opposed to like I'm a giant space monster. Like that's that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. So, so overall, well, how do you think the game is going to fare? Like, do you think it'll be a hit or? Not yeah, I think I think it'll be a hit. I mean, it's dropping at the right time for one thing. Um, early on in the season, 
uh, it's quite a lot of fun. I think I think for for old players, there's a lot to come back to, and I think for new players, there's a lot to discover. So I think, yeah, I think it's going to be a hit. What about yeah. you? I, I agree. I mean, I don't I don't think it's going to be the best selling game of the year or anything, but I no. think it'll definitely pull almost the entire old fan base back. And I do think kind of with the changes, it has the potential to kind of expand to people who haven't played it before or might be picking it up for the first time. Like your son. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, he hardly I mean, he just he just goofs around. But hey, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And actually, as far as like first person shooters go, it really is a good choice for families because unlike something like call of duty or battlefield, there's, you know, the bad guys are all aliens. There's not blood and gore. It's very cartoony. As the game says, it's not murder if it's robots. <laughs> right. It's exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So, well, cool. Uh, well, I think that wraps it up for, for this segment. So, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see you on the other side. That's it for this episode of World. Thanks for listening. I'm Matt Perez. And I'm Satchel Drakes. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please reach us at overworld at podcast1. That's O-N-E dot com. And also you can reach us on Twitter. My handle is at Satchel Drakes. That's Satchel like a bag with an extra L. And mine is Matt Ryan Perez. Thanks for listening. Take care. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there were over 1 million bubbles in a glass of champagne? Did someone say brunch? Leave the egg hunting to the kids. We'll have even more fine hunting for your brilliant brunch, Riesling. Ham's sweet and salty richness pairs perfectly with sweeter wines with bold fruit. How about a juicy Pinot Noir? Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States, as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him. The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, They are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower... It does not appear to be following, following the rule of law. It is a serious business. He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him. There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States, uh, including elected ones in the Senate, uh, for my execution, uh, the kidnapping of my staff. Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.